Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Coast to Coast Combat Hour. I'm your host, Matthew Hawkins, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ed Carbajal. And on a weekly basis, you can check us out at allaccessmma.com for our video podcast. This week, on the three-year anniversary of the podcast, we're happy to welcome back uh, for our yearly doctor checkup, uh, Dr. <laughs> John Lucas uh, out there in South Carolina. Uh Dr. John, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So, uh, I mean, uh, outside of the the tired joke that I just threw out there before we went live saying, what's up, Doc? Um, kind of, We kind of wanted to talk to you. You know, it's funny. Before we, we, we move forward, I wanted to let you know, um, Sergio Da Silva, who passed away last uh, December, um, was a, he's a former uh, – he fought at Bellator, former MMA fighter passed away last december i spoke to him not too long after you were last on and he actually told me his favorite uh he was loyal you know listened to it every week his favorite episode was the one that you were on talking about covid and everything happening so uh i'm really glad that you're back on um so what's what's your take with everything i mean uh, a year after <laughs> yeah so it's you know it, it varies i'm sure greatly here in south carolina compared to you being in california and new jersey um I think the local situation is a lot different. You know, here uh, gyms have been open for quite a while. Restaurants have been open uh, up until about a month ago. They were at reduced volume. Now they're back at full volume. So if you could just click your heels together and materialize in Greenville, other than the fact that there's people with masks on in, in most public places, you wouldn't really know that there was a, a pandemic ongoing. Fortunately, you know, our, we had a pretty significant second spike here in South Carolina, but our numbers are in free fall currently. So the hospital has, um, you know, probably one twentieth of the number of patients currently admitted with COVID we had a month or six weeks ago. And uh, the lines for testing now that used to be four or five hours long, you could basically drive up any day of the week that the lines that the testing sites are open, which is not even every day now because they don't need them as much oh, wow. and drive right in and get a test. The The only place you're likely to find lines are places that are given the vaccine. So obviously anybody that's listening, we're not giving any kind of political views. We're just talking about the facts of, of what's opened and, and what you see uh, from a doctor's perspective. With that said, um, you said you had a small spike there in South Carolina. Did that coincide with the reopening or the expanded opening? Or do you think it was just happened to be just, just part of the, yeah, it was, part of the trend? I think it was just part of the trend. It was the same spike that basically every other state had. Um, both in timing, you know, it was kind of in the middle of the cough, cold, and flu season towards the beginning to the middle of the winter. Um, it kind of got full force right around uh, the Christmas into or Thanksgiving into Christmas season. So the same thing that caused the spike around the rest of the country. I think there, mm. there, it's it's hard to put your finger on exactly what caused it, mm. but most likely it was the large group gatherings that were going on around the country. Uh, during the holiday season probably helped fuel it. And then the fact that it was the middle of cough, cold, and flu season. So mm -hmm. it was not surprising that a respiratory virus would be more uh, more prevalent during that period of time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's one of the things I always think about, especially here in New Jersey where everyone has the, the Jersey cough when the weather changes. But um, so, I mean, uh, for folks that are uh, unfamiliar with, with you from the last couple of times you've been on, uh, you serve as a, a ringside physician, uh, often for events, you've, 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 you've served, you've done, you've had duties for UFC events. Um, and when we had you on last, we were kind of like, you know, nobody knew, right. Like what to expect or how to handle everything when this was all starting when you were last on. And now that we're looking back, when you look at, um, uh, just, uh, not just the UFC combat sports as a whole seems to have the, the bubble situation, uh, down pat to the point that it's, uh, I mean, Everyone kind of follows the same protocol. PFL's got setting up their bubble here in Atlantic City for for their uh, the season that they're about to start. Um, you know, Bellator did Mohegan Sun. UFC has Fight Island and the Apex. So, um, I mean, when that's – I think the last time we had you on, it really hadn't kicked off yet. But now that you've seen all these events, uh, what's your uh, – I, I don't want to say report card, but, like, what's your, just what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, so I mean, I think the UFC's done a, a great job at getting their events back open and running and in and maintaining a bubble around the athletes. You know, there's a lot we don't know about COVID, but one of the things that we do know is the incubation period. So the idea of a bubble makes a lot of sense as long as you actually fairly strictly enforce it. And I think that the UFC has proven that that's a perfectly viable model for uh, putting on events because they've had uh, shockingly few athletes that have had COVID. And, you know, a lot of the fights that have been canceled because of COVID, it wasn't the athlete, it was a trainer or somebody. But th that's the whole point of the bubble, <clears throat> excuse me, in the testing is to identify that corner or second or trainer or whoever that has COVID and then they can remove them from exposure to the other athletes and prevent there from being a, a significant amount of spread. So I think that their model has worked out very, very well. I'm sure it's cost them a fortune, but mm -hmm. it's kept them, you know, in in the public eye and, and kept their events going so that they're keeping the machine moving forwards. Yeah, obviously Bellator and UFC were, were able to do that to a point to to keep their to keep the ball rolling as far as, uh, you know, the, the pace of their fights and schedules. A lot of their scheduled bouts got made up during this time. Um, now, that's the bubble. I, I, not, I, I hate to, you know, say it's behind us, but in a sense, we're moving forward, as you say, in South Carolina. Um, you basically have very few restrictions. Uh, in the events that you've started working lately that aren't in a bubble, um, do you have different protocols now? Has anything changed, or do, are we back to – you know, 2019, uh, as far as what you do as, as a medical doctor getting ready for fights? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of depends, you know, I, I have basically no control over what the promotion who's putting on an event does to try to ensure fighter and fan safety. So it varies very significantly from event to event. So use, there's a, a kickboxing promoter in the area, Johnny Davis. I'm actually heading to an event of his this weekend down in Myrtle beach and he does everything humanly possible to try to keep the event safe. He literally has the crowd socially distanced. He enforces a mask mandate in the arena. He actually does temperature checks at the door. He has a nurse sitting there doing that. Um, and he's put on a number of events during the pandemic, both actual kickboxing boxing events with live crowds, although reduced numbers, and then a lot of what he calls point kickboxing, which are usually taking place in somebody's martial arts school, but with the same COVID protocols. And despite, he's probably put at least a thousand or so fighters through uh, the events because they're tournament style. And mm -hmm. he hasn't had any uh, feedback from fighters, fans, uh, other people who are at the events that they thought that they got COVID at the event and there hasn't been any issues with people rebelling because of the protocols they have in on the other end of the spectrum, some of the MMA events and other sports with, you know, like a sign that says you should wear a mask. But when you look around the crowd, it looks like it's 19 or 2019. Uh, there's very few people wearing masks, especially I think that there's a strong correlation between the amount of alcohol that's consumed or available at an event and the or an inverse relationship between that and how seriously people take the mask mandates. But, you know, the typical fight sport crowd is usually on the younger side. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people who are going to local events train, so they're not always, but they're usually in probably better shape than the general population. So the risk profile for people at those events is probably pretty small. And, you know, having an event like that, I'm sure in, in one of the states where the lockdowns are either still in force or recently in force would have been shocking. But, you know, you can go to a, a restaurant or a bar here in South Carolina now and there'll be four or five hundred people packed into a relatively small room yeah. and no one has a mask on. And it's it's just kind of that crowd doesn't seem to care. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I know. um uh, the timing obviously is weird with you, you coming on the UFC announcing to UFC 261 in Florida with uh, a crowd of 15,000 folks in uh, I forget the name of the uh, the the venue that they're using, but 15,000 folks in Florida. I mean, I I guess Florida's I mean proven to either have a thicker skin or just doesn't care. I don't know. I don't know how you want to look at it, but uh, I mean, uh, what was your initial reaction when you saw? I mean, some people are happy. There's people already trying to shut it down, you know, with their comments or whatever. So, I mean, what was your initial reaction as somebody that respects and worked with the UFC? Obviously, you know, 
you, you say they're doing a good job. So I would hope that, you, I mean, you'd have something kind of on the fence. <laughs> yes. I mean, so the United States now has given out like 110 million plus doses of the coronavirus vaccine and mm-hmm. it's been available since early December, starting with a higher risk group. So by now, at least in South Carolina, and I think in most states, if you're in a high risk group and you haven't gotten the vaccine, you probably either don't want it and didn't seek it out, or there's some significant mobility issue, like you live in a rural area and you, you're not mobile and can't go and get it. So the people have talked before about the idea of trying to cocoon the people who are most at risk. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that now that the vaccine has been available for the elderly and for healthcare workers, people who are younger and are willing to take the potential risk of going to a, of a setting like that. I think that's a lot less of a potentially catastrophic thing for society than it would have been before the vaccine was available. So I don't particularly have a problem with it. As I'm sure you see in the news, you know, spring breaks going on down in Florida. Now (laughs) there's way more than 15,000 people hanging out at the beach. And I don't recall seeing any pictures of those large crowds of people wearing masks, except for when the police were shooting tear gas because they were basically rioting. But out, you know, the the day to day at the beach towns and in the bars and things like that, there's huge crowds of people. So I don't think the UFC should get a lot of shade for trying to put this event on like they are. No, I can tell you, Ed. The first thing I did is start to book travel. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, but uh, but I, you know, I'll. You know, I have the vaccine. I, I'm a school employee. I have it, so I, I feel safer feeling going into an arena like that. I can understand some apprehension from people. I guess my only issue, maybe, with the UFC doing it is kind of their core audience um, hasn't really had necessarily access completely to the vaccine. So I do think that that could, you know, I don't think it's going to lead to a spread, but it would maybe it would have been nice to wait another month. Uh, but that's that's just my guess on that. Um, do you uh, – what was that? I lost my track there. Anyways, getting back to we, – we talk about, uh, you know, not a lot of guys testing positive. One guy who seems to have really taken it hard was Kozmat uh, Chimeyev. Um, do you think that, that – uh, and it seems – and again, I don't really know, but pictures of him spitting blood, what it looks like. It seems like he's got lung issues as a result of testing positive. Do you think that that's something that we're going to see more and more of, of people that thought that they – kind of got out of this clean and then all of a sudden football season's going to start up for people, you know, not so much for kids, but just all of a sudden people are going to get back to the gyms, get back to regular life and realize that, that they, they had a hit to their lungs. Do you think that's something we're going to see? I don't think that that's too likely, especially, you know, as a cardiologist, we worried about that a lot from a heart standpoint. In fact, towards the beginning and sort of the, the, what I would call the middle of what we think was the middle of the pandemic, when the numbers were really going up, there was a lot of concern that there was going to be both early and late cardiac involvement. And you're going to see exactly that. You're going to see perfectly healthy people that got COVID, thought they were fine. Then they were going to exercise and drop dead because they had myocarditis and had arrhythmias and cardiac scarring and all that kind of stuff. Or, or uh, there was a particular concern about people developing coronary artery enlargement from something called uh, Kawasaki's disease. And that has just, not, fortunately, that has not panned out. There, there are definitely some people who get some late effects from coronavirus, in particular in kids, something called MISC, where they get this uh, multi-organ inflammatory syndrome that also often affects the heart. Hmm. But the people who have that get sick. They get usually get fevers and they get symptoms that brings it to their attention that they're not doing well. We haven't seen a lot of evidence of cardiac inflammation in people who are asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. I just remembered what I was going to ask real quick, Ed. Um, so we talk about like the 100 million people being vaccinated. Uh, One thing I feel like is kind of missed is all the people that have had COVID and, re- and, and recovered from it. Um, we're, I, I know we're not sure completely about the antibodies, but isn't it, is it, couldn't it be true that we're way more closer to like 200 million people that are kind of clear of this at this point? Or am I being super optimistic? Yeah, that's probably a little bit optimistic. So it depends, you know, it gets into the issue with it depends on what numbers you believe. So, you know, it's the people that um, think that everybody's not everybody, but a large number of people have been exposed to COVID, had it not had symptoms and therefore are immune are probably being a little bit over optimistic. And then on the flip side of that, there's also people who think that the number of people who are reported as having COVID 
is inflated because of a lot of false positive tests. But the official numbers are somewhere in the neighborhood, I think, of 30 million Americans have had a diagnosis of COVID. So if you take that as being true and knowing that all but 500,000 of them recovered, that means there's 29 plus million people that have antibodies from a natural infection. Plus, the it's it's not 110 people who were fully vaccinated, but 110 million people that have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine, or it might be 110, pe- 110 million doses that were given, but some portion of those or all of those people have some portion of immunity and some portion of them are completely vaccinated. So there's it's probably safe to say there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 million people that have some sort of immunity to COVID. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of good uh, good news to hear, um, especially coming from you. One of the things I want to just touch on really quick about Chemayev, Kamzat Chemayev, it seems like the last two times Dana White uh, had to address his whole situation, it seems like Chemayev's problem is 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 himself, like just not listening to what the doctors are telling him to do because he keeps trying to like do push-ups and shit you know he shouldn't be you know instead of just resting and getting better i mean obviously that's not the attitude that I, we understand the whole fighter attitude but sometimes it can be uh, a detriment to them yeah and you know and that's not obviously unique to the situation that's very very common i mean every fighter i've ever known especially people who are professionals they get injured and you tell them, hey, you got to take X amount of time off. And that almost never happens. You know, everybody has the same thought. And I'm sure the two of you have done the same thing because I know I have. I think, well, you know, six weeks, that's for the average oh, yeah. guy. But I'm in great shape. So, you know, five days should be sufficient. And that's why you hear about athletes re-injuring themselves so much. You know, they get mm-hmm. their shoulder or knee operated on. They go back to training a little bit too fast and wind up re-injuring the exact same, the yeah. exact same area. And, it happens. Yeah. yeah, I've definitely been there. I mean, I, I just had an infection thing on my hand, and I went back a little sooner than I should have, and I uh, opened up my hand again. But um, besides that, so, I mean, speaking of, of, of athletes and uh, listening to doctors and the outcomes, what's uh, uh, let's say you were in the apex when the, the last couple of weeks with all these uh, these downed knees and, and eye, eye, eye fish hooks, I mean, what was your reaction to all the stuff that's been going on in the news lately as far as stuff like that goes? Yeah, it's it's the the fighters getting need when they're down was just crazy. Uh, you know, especially with it happening two weeks in a row, you would think after such a big deal be, being made out of it on week one that the following week that would be in the back of everybody's mind is, hey, don't need the guy when he's down. And then, yeah. I mean, he was as down as you could get. I mean, he had his whole shin and knee on the mat. So I, you know, I don't know what went through his head, but it's just one of those things. You know, he was in a fight and was yeah. trying to win. He had him really hurt and was thinking, oh, I'm going to finish him off and just threw a shot that was illegal. The way that was handled in the cage was a little unique. The the second knee I'm talking about this past weekend, because, mm-hmm. you know, he, the, the knee was thrown. They called the doctor in. The doctor came in and asked, do you want to continue? And the guy said, yeah. I looked at him. He said, okay, you're fine. And turned and walked out of the cage. And he got called back in again to say, hey, are you sure he's okay? And then he changed his mind after doing a you know a couple of things and saw him take a couple steps and saw he was a little unsteady. And the fight wound up being called. That was kind of weird. And it's, a, mm-hmm. it's a, an interesting situation because if you had done that same exam, if they had called time just before that knee was thrown, I don't think you would have seen him be real steady on his feet yeah. then. And people would have been fine. You know, if he had stopped the fight before the knee, people would have had a stroke, but because mm-hmm. that knee happened now, suddenly you get this, you know, uh, time to take a pause and do an exam, have him do some stuff to see what he looks like and decide that because he's not perfectly normal, the, the fight can't continue. It's just an unfortunate circumstance. Mm-hmm. So the knees were referencing. The main one that got the most news was uh, Peter Yan lost his title to Aljamain Sterling uh, at the last pay per view, uh, throwing a knee. According to Sterling, or according to uh, Yan, he was looking at his hands. Uh, I saw the hands come up, and it, it just he got crossed up and, and made the mistake clearly of kneeing him, and he hasn't dodged the fact that he clearly kneed him in the face. Um, I guess my question from a doctor's perspective, and we may have even talked about this in the past, it, 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 is there anything about a knee like that? Obviously, unguarded straight to the face is never good. Um, but it, hypothetically, in a normal situation, if that was a legal move, Sterling would have been 
at least had his hands up, likely blocking his face, or he would have just never got on his hands and knees in the middle of the ring. Uh, from a doctor's perspective, is there anything more dangerous, or is there anything more dangerous about a knee like a knee in general to a grounded opponent as opposed to a standing head kick or elbows on the ground um, from a guy like John Jones? Um, you know, uh, it, it, basically, what I'm getting at is, are we to the point now where that we sh- we're just we, we, that should be a legal move uh, as from a doctor's perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the short answer to your question is that particular knee. No, the thing that makes uh, being grounded, I think, more dangerous is twofold. One, like you said, when you're grounded, your hands are not available to block the shot. So mm-hmm. I think what they're trying to avoid with those rules is, you know, you've got a guy in a tie clench. You throw a couple knees to the midsection. They start to fold. They're going to the ground. And as they're going to the ground, you knee them in the head as they're coming down and their hands are on the mat. You know, that that's that's a, a very potentially dangerous strike because it's a a very, very hard strike Mm -hmm. and they can't really defend it. But when you're up against the cage like that, you, I mean, he really has the same opportunity to defend that that he would have to defend a head kick. Most head kick knockouts are not blocked. That's why they cause a knockout. You know, the person like, like if you think back to Steven Thompson's debut in the UFC against Dan Stitchin, he threw a one, two, and then threw that head kick right after the two in that touched absolutely nothing until it bounced off the side of his skull. If I had to choose between eating the knee that Aljamain Sterling um, fight versus getting kicked in the head by Steven Thompson full force without blocking it, I would much rather have taken that knee to the face because there's probably less force behind that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I mean, so, I've, I've <laughs> taken a few knees myself in, in, uh, in my underground karate days. Um, and then they've definitely, uh, I don't want to say not all of them hurt, but, uh, you know, at least not all of them hurt right away. <laughs> but one of the things, um, just because you, you mentioned last week's knee, um, and we talked about guys like, like Chemaev, um, from, from your point of view and, or in your experience, when do you start doing, having to play a little bit of, uh, um, Sherlock Holmes in a sense, to find out if the guy's saying yes, I'm okay to continue, but you're, you know that like, how do you make the decide that no, you 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 want to fight, but I'm not going to let you because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm protecting you. So I mean, it's it's basically a judgment call in seeing what their mentition is like. So mm-hmm. when you go into the cage and start talking to the person, it's usually very very evident very very quickly whether they're the same person that you did the pre-fight physical on or not, and um. So like at the UFC here in Greenville, there was a, a, a strike that caused a pretty big cut and there was concern that the fight might be able to continue. And I walked in and I said, hey, do you want to continue? And he answered loud enough for the whole arena to hear F yeah. And was, you know, jumping around and pumped. You could tell that guy is 100% mentally there. He's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. When you walk in and you see somebody who has that sort of dazed look on their face and they're not focusing on you, oftentimes it's hard to get them to answer. You say, do you want to continue? I want an answer right then, because if you're really mentally okay, you will have already processed, okay, I just got hit. They stopped the fight because of that, but I want to continue. So they should be talking to me as I'm coming up to them. It's when they seem surprised that I'm there and you're asking the question, you kind of get that sort of drunken pause. Then you know that everybody's not, you know, the, they're not firing on all eight cylinders. And that's when you need to, to talk about stopping the fight. On the other end of the spectrum, you know, people always ask, well, how do you know that the fighter is not actually okay to continue and you're stopping the fight? And that's not my problem. If I go into the ring and the guy says he doesn't want to continue or he's acting in a way that clearly describes, you know, clearly shows he doesn't want to continue. I don't care whether he's faking or not fights Mm -hmm. over. Yeah. Yeah. So how, um, just to follow up to that, how do you handle uh, the like the bad corner guys, like especially when because I know sometimes the doctors called in between rounds to the to the corner by the ref to check, you know, the sitting on the stool. And oftentimes when you hear the audio, I mean, I can't think of fights off the top of my head, but I've definitely heard it where a doctor walks up and it's like one of the coaches or cornermen are like, yeah, he's okay. They they say it to the doctor before they even walk up. But I mean, would he just cut that guy off and zero in on the fighter? I assume, right? Yeah, exactly. I don't, you know, I don't care what the corner has to say. He's not the guy that's that's fighting. And I've I've had people argue with corners argue with me when I've either stopped a fight or when it was very clear I was going to. And I, that's what I said. I, you know, try to be nice about it. But it's I don't care what you have to say. That's not your job. 
is to corner him. My job is to make sure that he's safe. I try really hard not to make any decisions like that during the minute between rounds because the fighter gets that whole minute to recover. So, you know, whether it's a cut that we're looking at or whether it's concern about what their mentition is like, unless they're exhibiting clear evidence of a significant injury during that time, I wait until the 10 second, you know, clapper goes off. And then when the corner leaves, that's when I ask the fighter the question. And that does two things. One, it gives them as much time as possible to recover. And two, it gives them an opportunity to tell me they don't want to continue without their corner hearing it. Cause I've had a number of times mm -hmm. in local fights that I've asked a fighter when they stood back up, do you want to continue? And I don't get an answer and say, look, if you want to stop, you just say that you don't want to continue and it'll be my fault and you can do whatever. And then as soon as I tell the ref, I don't want the fight to continue. It needs to stop. The fighter starts acting like they're really upset that that happened and whatnot. And it's, it's like, okay, you know, I'll be the bad guy, but that's, that's their opportunity to get themselves out of a situation where they don't, they don't feel safe or comfortable to continue without losing a lot of face from the corner. On that note, if you ever get the the thought as a fighter that your corner would be mad if a fight was stopped because you don't feel like you're safe to continue, you should immediately switch camps and quit dealing with the people that are training you because if your corner doesn't have your safety in mind, you you should not be fighting for them. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. you know, before we get to the, the eye poke situation that took place this last week, um, it seems to me, and, and again, basically the people who have the power to stop the fight are the doctors, you, and then the referee. Basically, you two at, at all times can stop the fight. Um, do you think that the referees, uh, in your situation, I know you, you're a good doctor. UFC has a history of not necessarily, depending on certain places they go, having the most knowledgeable MMA doctor on the ring. Do you think that the referees a lot of times uh, try to pass the buck of uh, responsibility to the doctor so that they don't have to hear stuff on social media? Because you're not going to get tore up on social media like Herb Dean would or, or, or even by his boss. It seems to me like the referee's job, when he's looking at that fighter, some of these situations, the doctor doesn't even need to be called in. If the guy can't get up off the ground and he's just thrashed, um, and, and it's more to do kind of with this past weekend um, as opposed to Sterling. But Sterling, I mean, the minute that knee landed, I, I think the casual follower, a viewer of the fights could see this fight's not going to continue. And, and I don't know. It just seems to me a lot of the times the referees kind of try to talk him into fighting. And then it's like, OK, well, if it's going to be stopped, I'm going to put it on the doctor. I, am I wrong in that? Um, or, or do you enjoy do you not want to see referees making that call? Would you rather have it fall on you? Yeah, I mean, I'm perfectly happy with it falling on me. I was kind of snickering when you said that I'm, you're not going to get torn up. I'm not going to get torn up on social media the same way that the referee would. There was a doctor in New York City that stopped a fight. I think it was for a cut. That was getting death threats. They actually had to have security at his office for a while. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. So the Twitter mob will find you wherever, but mm -hmm. that's you know that's not that's not my responsibility. If you're thinking about that when you're going into the into your job either as a physician or as a referee, then you need to find a different line of work. Mm -hmm. I, I'd actually, what the, you were just describing about the referees kind of passing stuff off to the doctor, I'd never even considered that in the past. I never really thought of it that way. I think that it's just the referees trying to give the fighter um, as much opportunity to continue if they, if they want to do that. The referee doesn't want to stop a fight if there's not a medical reason to have to stop the fight, especially if the fighter says they want to continue. I mean, that's, that's what the ringside physician is there for. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, there's been some times where a physician had thought that the fight should be able to continue and the referee thought, eh, I don't know about that. And that's the referee's job is to keep the fighter safe. So they've either stopped it or like what happened with the knee this weekend, called the doctor back in and like, you know, are you sure about that? Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened to me at the event here in Greenville. The guy had a pretty significant cut on the outside of his eye, uh, Big Dan was the referee, you know, great referees and a referee forever, and, you know, pretty well respected, called me in to look at the cut. And while I was looking at it, he was already telling the announcers that it was going to be a no decision or whatever, or no contest because the fight was stopping and this hadn't gone on far enough. And I thought the person was fine to continue. Mm. And um, I said that I said, he's good to go. So he's okay. And um, let the, time between the rounds stop. And then I walked out of the cage. And as soon as the fight started, 
He said, time in, time, just like that, and called me back in again to look at it. And I told him, I said, dude, I think he's fine. But he was just clearly nervous that that fight yeah. was more significant or that cut was more significant than we were aware of. And, and like I said, that's their, that's their job because if the, if the fight goes on too long, it's ultimately the referee's fault because they're the person who can at any point in time easily stop a fight. Well, you, you would have hope. the authority to. Yeah, no, definitely. And you would hope that they would defer to you or, you know, the doctor at that's at whatever event, you know, because referees, they're not doctors. They're kind of the closest eyes in the cage. They're kind of there to be the eyeballs to say, hey, there's something off here. Let me call in. Let me call in the doctor um, to make sure everything is all right. Um, I mean, uh, speaking of things being, you know, checking if everything is all right. Bilal Muhammad pretty much got fish hooked in the eye. Um, I mean, as you know, at the day after, you see a lot of things. I mean, people talking about the gloves of the UFC again, which coincidentally, I got to give a shout out to uh, Jay Petri over at Sure Dog, who uh, he's he's a he's a stats guy. So I asked, and uh, we we have our separate forum there, and I asked, and he he said he was like he brought up the numbers of eye pokes that have happened across other promotions, and I mean, not too shocking. The UFC is the leader. If you if you add Dana White Contender Series plus UFC events as a whole, they have the most. So, do you think, in your opinion, um, not to get you in any kind of trouble, but you know, in your opinion, does that kind of uh, say yes? Maybe we need to look at gloves and changing them. Everybody else has. Why do we keep using these 1993 gloves? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, you know. I'm not clear on why the UFC has a higher incidence of eye pokes. Um, there's a lot of potential things that could cause that. I think that the fighting styles of a lot of guys that make it to the UFC, that typically are decent strikers and trying to keep a distance in that the most common scenario for an eye poke tends to be that reaching kind of jab, you know, not quite a jab, but reaching out with your hand open, trying to find mm -hmm. distance to throw a strike behind and, even if you have one of the gloves that have been proposed that has, you know, you have to use force of your hand to open it, your fingers are still going to be extended in that situation yeah. because you're going to have your fingers peeled back as you're throwing that motion. Um, the other thing that I think contributes to it is the fact that it's basically in, in, in the UFC, because it's the, the promotion that I watch the most number of events from, you basically get a one foul free card when you start your fight. Hmm. You know, in really one foul of each type, you can grab yep. the fence once, you can kick the guy in the nuts once, you can poke him in the eye once, and all you're going to get is a, hey, don't do that again, unless it's a, a fight-stopping scenario. So, I mean, statistically, if you want to win a UFC fight, the best thing you could do would be go out, touch gloves, kick the guy in the nuts, and then as soon as the fight starts again, poke him in the eye. And then when you're near the cage, if he goes for a takedown, grab it. And you're, you know, you've probably won that round. Don't forget um, the elbow. To, don't forget the elbow to the back of the head. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, you can throw an elbow to the back of the head or get on the ground and throw a couple of good punches clearly to the back of the head and get the warning. Hey, 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 careful. You got to make sure you hit in the ear. So, you know, I think that might have something to do with it. The, my concern with all of the different style of gloves is I think it's very likely if the glove is different enough from the typical four ounce open fingered glove to prevent eye pokes, I don't see how it's not going to interfere with people's grappling ability. Mm. Now I haven't, the, that particular curved and the gentleman's name is escaping me now. The, uh, that, um, has the patent for the glove that the UFC was thinking about going to, but he won't hand the patent over to Trevor Whitman. Um, mm. the, the glove that he has, I've never had one of those on my hands, so I don't know how much different it would be to try to grapple, but it seems like anything that would tend to change the shape of your hand or make it harder to open your hand fully would have to have some sort of, of, uh, interference with that or some sort of change to the grappling. And I think that's why the UFC hasn't changed. You know, their product is what it is. People are tolerating what's going on, and no one has had a, a career-altering injury because of a single eye poke yet. Although you could probably argue Bisping. I was going to say, well, you know, <laughs> but um, I think that was probably the culmination of a number of times that he got either poked or punched in the eye, as opposed to you know one particular poke. And when this one happened, when we all got this eye poke this time, I thought we saw that one career-changing mm -hmm. injury. But fortunately, it looks like that's not going to be the case. But I don't think that the UFC has a lot of pressure to change because mm -hmm. they're they're concerned. I would imagine that if they start making changes that there's a possibility that it's going to have an 
unwanted effect and make things worse. And then they're kind of stuck. Yeah. So I think they, they've been operating on, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Same thing with yeah. the rules and the weight classes. Yeah. Um, Bilal Muhammad was kind of on the, on the same wavelength with, uh, recently. I think he, he said it to TMZ where he said, you know, why, why do, why do you get all these warnings? Just take the point away at least so that they know not to do it. And like the, the consequence needs to be a little more severe. Maybe rather than a uh, design issue, maybe just do that. But I, yeah, I know that's, that's a commission thing, not a, yeah. You know, that's what I would argue. So, you know, uh, Blake Grice, who's a ref that's done some USC events and has been very uh, active in the Southeast, when he's doing his pre-fight, uh, the fighters meeting and telling the fighters the rules and going through the unified rules, he always says, you do not get a warning in the cage. This is your warning right now. You can't eye poke. You can't grab the cage. You can't. Now, they don't always hold 100% to that. If there's a minor you know, clearly unintentional thing that doesn't really affect the fight, they'll let that pass. But if the UFC really wanted this to stop or commissions really wanted it to stop, what they need to do is institute a, you don't get a warning. If you poke somebody in the eye, even if it's an accident, you immediately lose a point. And I think if that happens, you will see the eye pokes evaporate overnight. Mm. <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say. I, we, the warnings are irrelevant. I mean, this past weekend, we had Herb Dean issue a warning, and then seconds later, we had a finishing eye poke. I, I don't understand how that's not a disqualification. I, I, I truly don't. And, I, and I, the only way I can see it's not a disqualification is because it was Leon Edwards, and uh, Herb Dean psychologically is thinking that he doesn't want to derail the guy's career by giving him a loss on his record. And I think that's totally wrong. I I, 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 I And I guess the, the, you, to piggyback off of that, the UFC is the only organization that rewards people who win by using eye pokes. I, you don't see Bell, Bellator. Somebody doesn't win a fight by eye poke and then get a title shot. I mean, that's really what we're on the precipice of right now with Leon Edwards is at worst, a number one contender shot probably with wonder boy. And, and it, er, at, that's at best at worst, he's probably getting a title shot. I, I just, it, to me, it's, it's insane. And I don't, I don't know where I, I if you're losing a fight, why wouldn't you eye gouge somebody? <laughs> it's you get twice your pay if you win worst and 99.9% of the time it's going to be a no contest. I mean, we can count probably if we sat down and you got one of these main big stat guys. And I mean, I could go off the top of my head. There's probably less than 20 times in the history of UFC. A point was taken away. I mean, th it, considering the thousands of fights, that's just an astronomical number. And you know, I, when I saw this, I thought, okay, he got warned. And now he just stuck his knuckle into the guy's eye. How is it not disqualification? And I, I think it does a disservice to Muhammad because I think he should, he, he lost half of his pay. Uh, in theory, he would have got double and it, it, it just, it's a weird situation. So I think, I think, as you say, I think they got to start punishing people for doing it and realize that we can't hold certain people to certain situation. You know, if, uh, uh, you know, Jan loses his title on a knee without a warning, although the referee said, you know, be careful with the knee. And then later we have a knee. We have a pure warning. A, a, the fight stopped. Warning, do not do that. And then he does it again. I mean, I, you know, and then and so it's just a weird, weird dynamic. I don't think points taken away. I, I, I feel like the first foul, it should be a point taken away automatically. And, and if you do it again, it's a disqualification. And, and I mean, there was a time where we used to call guys dirty fighters. I mean, Gilbert Ibel was a dirty fighter and he would be now, now in the UFC, he would be like, you know, he'd be praised as being John Jones or Leon Edwards. Or, I mean, we talk about Bisbing's eye. Bisbing was no stranger to uh, illegal shots either. He put, you know, he, he sent uh, Rivera, you know, astro flying with it with a knee to the face and and all that other stuff so i, I mean i don't know I, I there's no real way around it uh, as far as the gloves go because you say it'll it'll affect grappling but until we see them step up and decide that they're actually going to punish people for breaking the rules then i don't see any why any reason why anybody would stop yeah exactly i think it's an enforcement issue you know you've i'm sure you've heard the saying it's not what you dictate it's what you tolerate it's just like the speed limit the speed limit in interstates in south carolina is 70 but it's well known if you're not going 80, you're not getting stopped. So effectively, the speed limit is 79. Yeah. The same thing with eye pokes. They say don't poke people in the eye, but you can do it once and no one cares. So you're going to see eye pokes. But if the if the commissions are interested in eradicating that, they need to start enforcing the point. Because, I mean, losing a point in a fight is a huge deal. It mm -hmm. basically means you have to win both other rounds to have a prayer of winning the fight because 10-8s are so hard to come by. 
Mm. You know, the yeah. difference between the speeding analogy, though, is if you get pulled over going 85 and the cop goes, hey, here's a warning. And then 10 minutes later, you go 100 miles per hour into a group of people. You're getting charged with manslaughter, murder, reckless driving and everything. They're not saying, hey, that's a no contest. We'll call it even. <laughs> you, yeah. Know? Yeah. But, you know, I, uh, I wonder. um I wonder what Wonder Boy's take because Wonder Boy does such. He's got his own YouTube channel. He does really good training videos. I wonder if it just because I know he's got a karate background, and um, you know my my karate instructor, you know, was as far as like the pawing and stuff guys do for technique to kind of get around. I know I know some of the technique is like people like to pull the the if their guard is up they'll they'll try to reach around and pull it in and that's kind of where eye pokes happen. But there's there's uh you know my old karate instructor. Always was always a fan of keeping your fist tight. You can still do that movement with a tight fist, which you can. Um, but uh, so I'm wondering if there's uh, training, if guys can start training that way, or, or if there's enough, or maybe it's just not out there yet that you that you can kind of pull off similar maneuvers. Um, the only reason I mentioned Wonder Boy is because he he does some really old school training tips on his YouTube channel. So maybe if you uh, if you ever get get a chance to ask him, uh, folk, I, I know you 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 uh, train at his gym still, right? Uh, Actually, I'm, I, I'm not at his gym, but I, I still see him and his dad pretty frequently. Yeah, so maybe uh, if, if pull his coat about her, maybe maybe try to get him back on here so I can ask him. But I mean, I'm just curious because some of the stuff he puts on there is it seems like it's a uh, necessary training material that not enough people need to watch. But I'm just wondering if if uh, if it's something that MMA gyms can adopt. Just uh, trying to not maybe, maybe not parry so spread eagle with your hands. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that that the reaching with your fingers open, I think, is a technically flawed procedure. And it's funny you bring up Wonder Boy because when was the last time you saw Wonder Boy poke somebody in the eye? As yeah. far as I know, it's yeah. never happened. Yeah. And it's because of the, the way he parries those the hands that are in his way is not by kind of reaching out and slapping at it. I, I think that the 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 most significant eye pokes that I've seen have typically been from somebody trying to find the person's forehead with their hand. You know, they're reaching out with an open hand, kind of like that. And I mean, that's what John Jones does all the time. He's constantly yeah. reaching out and he's doing it to gauge distance. But I mean, you're basically taunting an eye poke the entire time. And as soon as the person moves their head in a funny way, you poke him in the eye. That's not how Steven maintains his distance. No, so and I think that it's a technical thing that people could get away from very easily. Yeah, so hopefully, I mean, I mean, uh, maybe he'll see this and, and and put it up on his YouTube channel because that'd be a nice little training video to see. Because again, from his karate background, I get my karate instructor say, "I mean, if I can touch your head, why aren't I just hitting you then? You know what I mean? Why do I? Why am I gaining range? If I can touch your head, that should be a jab. You know, that should be a strike. So I mean, uh, there's an old saying from around here. Anyway, I don't know if it it's universal across the the old school martial arts styles, but a uh, block is a strike and a strike is a block. You know what I mean? So it's this, it's it's one and the same. So why aren't you doing it that way rather than creating uh, an instance where because not for nothing you can get your finger broke too. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? What, they're not strong, separated like that. So interesting. You talk about gyms now. Uh, this weekend, um, UFC is is back on to uh, between ESPN and ESPN Plus, and the main events: uh, Derek Brunson and uh, Kevin Holland. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe I've seen some interaction between you and Derek Brunson. Have you have you done some training with him recently? I haven't done any training with him yet. He's invited me to his gym a bunch of times, but he has started doing uh, promotion. You know, he's Derek has a very successful gym up in North Carolina, and he comes down to South Carolina a couple times a year and puts on a. Uh, promotion. I think his promotion is Ultimate Battlegrounds, where he has some grappling and then does usually a very large number of MMA fights behind that. So I see him at those events all the time. Interesting. How do you, uh, how, how, do you have any opinion on that fight? I mean, Holland's on a five-fight win streak. Uh, Brunson's on a three-fight win streak. Obviously, two of the contenders kind of, I mean, Brunson's been around, it seems like forever now when you go back to the strike force days, but he's kind of always on the precipice of that one big win to, uh, yep. to get that next mega fight. Um, do you have any opinion on, on how you see that thing going down? Yeah. So, I mean, this is the fight that I've been most interested in, in uh, uh, main event in quite a while. Um, I got to see Kevin Holland fight. He fought on the card here in Greenville and have watched his career kind of blossom both before through and now after that. Mm -hmm. And then this exact same opinion about Derek, you know, he seems like he's been on a tear a couple of times and then stumbled when he had a big chance. So I'm sure that's playing in the back of his mind. I mean, he knows that 
this this fight is likely going to make the difference between him making a run at the title versus being a perennial either gatekeeper or kind of also ran. Um, if I were a betting guy, which I'm not, I would probably put my money on Brunson in this. I just think he has more tools to potentially put this fight away, and I think he's got more riding on it. But, you know, both these guys are fantastic fighters that are kind of hitting this full stride. Unless one of them gets hurt, this is likely to be a, a fantastic main event. Really looking forward to that fight. Yeah, I um, I got to say that uh, ever since uh, Holland uh, – because he's the guy that knocked out um, Jacare on his when he was on his back, right? Yes. His last fight, yeah. So after that, I'm kind of just like, uh, I, I don't know, I'd be if I'm betting against him anymore. <laughs> no, he's a tough dude. I mean, I, I saw him make his UFC debut when he took on uh, Tiago Santos. At, at, yeah, that too. That's a good. At that's last a, minute, you know, just outsized, yeah. and and he went to just uh, you know a fairly competitive decision. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a pick for the fight. I just I think it's going to be a really good fight, and I, I you know, Brunson winning obviously is good for him because, like you said, it's kind of a do or die as far as. What where do you go from here? Are you just going to be kind of the eternal gatekeeper and make a living, or are you going to have a chance to really uh, step up and, and earn that gigantic payday and get that big fight? And you know, and once you get that big fight, anything can happen. Holland's kind of the younger guy that you know it, it won't affect his career, obviously, as you say, as much. But um, interesting, you know, uh, we we talked the UFC announced uh, that we well, first of all, you know, just some quick news notes. We're hearing rumors of Gagey and uh, Chandler. I don't know what that does for you, but my God, I know Ed's reaction on Twitter. And uh, I mean, that to me is like <laughs> two guys I'd love to watch fight. Neither I want to watch lose, but uh, I don't know, Ed, what's your opinion on that potential bout is, but uh, you know, anything other than fireworks. I, I, I fucking love it. I just want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's it. Just I, hope I, you I, don't want to say anything to jinx it. Right. You want to make sure that actually yeah, happens. That, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one. I mean, you look at the at Chandler's athleticism and output, versus Gaethje's madness what I don't know what you want to call it blood blood uh bloodthirst madness that he has when he's when he's on and in the cage I mean those are two guys that are definitely uh I mean it's already you know fight of the night you know bonus is probably going to be there for somebody you know but um yeah no I'm I'm in love with that fight I want them to make it official already <laughs> have you heard anything John down the down the uh line uh about Chris Weidman I just noticed actually looking that he is he is scheduled to now have his fight rematch from what was it uh a ring of combat i think maybe uh a long time ago with uh uriah hall um mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. now that's going to take place at the at the event at jacksonville with a crowd have you heard anything from his camp i mean i imagine psychologically seeing adesanya lose has got to be a boost for everybody in that division um especially guys who have a have a, a wrestling base uh at least in theory um anything anything down i mean i i had hard to believe he's anything more than like three or four fights still away from that but uh and anything anything from those guys yeah no i, I haven't uh seen you know he's down here in south carolina uh, i think he's in south carolina he's right at the north south carolina border i think he's on this side of it you know he moved down from the law mma camp probably five six months ago but I haven't uh, actually seen him or spoken to him about that. But, I mean, I would imagine – I know if I were in that division seeing uh, what happened with that recent fight, I would certainly be excited about the fact that, hey, look, the guy is defeatable, and mm-hmm. um, this is a big fight for Chris. You know, he's got to get his his uh, his engine going and get back on the win streak and get a couple of fights put together if he's going to make a run at the at the title. So be an interesting fight that card right now looks uh really pretty stacked with three title fights and, and that one on on there so i think we're about wrapping up here uh any any anything you want to throw out john i, I know your uh your handle is uh at sc md um and it's john lucas any anything else no, I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it. It'd be interesting to see how this event goes off down in Jacksonville and if there's any, uh, what the media perception of it and the general public's perception of it is as it runs up to the event, and particularly afterwards, like I said, with spring break happening in Florida now, I think the pearl clutching about there being 15,000 people at a UFC event is going to be pretty limited because, I mean, events of that size are going on currently down there. And- mm-hmm. I'm going to have to check with Anthony Robles, uh, the rhino, but he, um, 
I believe he's working. I believe they're now the UFC is going to head to head with WrestleMania, which is a two day event at um, at the Buccaneers Stadium. So it'll be interesting to see now that the UFC has announced a full event. Uh, if Vince McMahon says, uh, "Okay, let's let's get 70,000 people into uh, into into the stadium out there," so yeah, there might be a either a giant spike or uh, it's gonna it's gonna create the the wave that's gonna take over. You know, not knowing about South Carolina, we always hear about Florida, and then we hear it about uh, you know we hear about all these other states, but it's interesting to see how many are actually opened up. So. I think it's going to be fun, man. I, I, we talked a year ago about being optimistic about, you know, people kind of psychologically getting over the, the stuff. I think people are going to be more afraid uh, since it took so long and we've actually seen more mm. uh, destruction from it. But, um, you know, I, I got, guess go ahead. I got, I got one take uh, one question for you, John. It's stupid, but since I, since you're a doctor and, and you kind of like, you kind of helped to school us with the pandemic and where to, where to go for resources. Thank you, by the way. Because I followed mm-hmm. your advice ever since you gave it to us, I actually stopped watching the news and just went to you know the 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 information hubs that I was supposed to go to rather than getting the skewed stuff. You know what I mean? But um, uh, movie for uh, the the average dumb dumb to <laughs> to watch for the pandemic outbreak or contagion, which is more accurate <laughs> in your in your opinion? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, short answer is neither. Uh, outbreak is. <laughs> Of the two, I thought Outbreak was the better movie. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen either one of them recently, but I, I would vote for Outbreak. All right, cool. I, I, I'm a Contagion guy, but I, I, I don't know about Outbreaks. My, I might have to rewatch it then. Because <laughs> yeah, people, so. <laughs> people, people are saying after the vaccine, you need to wait 14 days. And I said, I'm waiting for 28 days later. I learned that a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, mm. anyway, fans can always check us out at allaccessmma.com. Follow me, Matthew Hawkins, at MMAHawk21 on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow Ed at Carbazal on Twitter, Carbeerzal on Instagram, and Old Head Carb on Twitch. Uh, everybody that listens, thanks. Again, this is the three-year anniversary of the show. Uh, we appreciate everybody who is uh, taking a second to uh, listen to anything we have to say or anything our guests have to say. So thanks to everybody, and uh, everybody enjoy, be safe, and uh, look forward to the fights again this weekend. Take care, guys. Take it easy. Happy anniversary. (laughs) Hey guys, Ed here, East Coast side of the Coast to Coast Combat Hour podcast. If you like what we're doing, make sure you subscribe on YouTube and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also, if you'd like to help us out and donate, uh, the support links are in any of the uh, podcast descriptions, and in some, the links are also provided on our YouTube channel, The Blogboard Jungle. Um, thanks again for listening, and if you give us some support, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast, maybe uh, bring you on for a UFC pay-per-view breakdown or two. Thanks again. <laughs>